21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Accessory dwelling units, also known as ADUs, are an extremely popular form of housing in California. Over the last several years, California officials have passed a series of legislation making it much easier to add a small second home on a property that already has a single or multifamily dwelling. These ADUs can be between 400 and 1200 square feet. So that might be up to a three or four bedroom home. Um, and the reason these are so attractive is that the real estate market in California, coupled with a housing shortage, has really made it difficult for folks to find affordable housing. Um, and while ADUs can be expensive on a square foot basis, they're much more um, affordable options than other alternatives, particularly um, in the denser areas where uh, single family zoning uh, perhaps is a bit out of date. So we're seeing a huge demand for ADUs, not only in our market in San Diego, um, but across California, and it's also catching on nationwide. Um, just last week, I attended a conference of ADU um, developers, builders, architects, activists, um, where folks from Washington, D.C., New York, um, Texas, all across California, uh, Oregon, everyone interested in learning about how we can promote the construction of ADUs as a housing source. And why San Diego? Why California? Sure. So uh, we are a local company. My co-founder and I are both um, living and working in San Diego. We found it important to really learn a single market um, before trying to expand. So we do serve over 15 jurisdictions in greater San Diego, so across the whole county. Um, but we found by specializing that we were much more quickly able to understand the regulations that pertain to us here, develop relationships um, with the cities, understanding their permitting processes, and also developing awareness from a marketing perspective. So we we have job site signs up on all of our projects and by concentrating geographically we have better awareness of our brand as well and how has your particular experience in the construction industry helped in, let's say inform your strategy and and approach to, to building that kind of units in san diego Yes. So I did not start in construction. My co-founder did. So we had very different paths to getting here. The first 10 years or so of my career was in operations management and then strategy consulting with Bain & Company. Um, and I left corporate America um, about five or six years ago to get involved in real estate. And I thought I was going to be doing multifamily investing, um, maybe doing um, some you know, buy and holds. I ended up doing um, fix and flips on the East Coast where I lived at the time. So we were actually adding a second story onto to homes um, just that were commutable to New York um, and good school districts and all of that. So we were taking existing space and figuring out what we could do with that in a, in a kind of constrained environment. That's actually quite similar to what we're doing with accessory dwelling units. So when I heard about all the regulation changes, um, significant ones were passed about three years ago. I had moved out to here at that time. So I was looking for ways to get uh, involved more locally. Um, so my experience in operations management and processes um, meant that I had a different lens to 
look at things like general contracting than a lot of the folks I was working with. So I started gravitating towards um, understanding that better so that on the projects I was taking on, um, even though I wasn't the general contractor partner, I wanted to know what was going on. So I built some expertise um, in that area and slowly gravitated towards actually becoming the builder. So by partnering with an existing general contractor, we were we were able to grow very quickly. Um, and so my skills um, from corporate allowed me to think through what do we need to have out there as far as presence and developing ourselves as a brand? Um, what do we need to have in process in place for processes and foundational um, technology that would allow us to scale? So we started building all of that when we only had a handful of jobs going, but we could see where we wanted to take this. Um, so that's how I think my personal experience um, allowed me to um, just help grow this smaller construction company into a mid-sized company pretty quickly. All I hear, go get the money. So I go get it. Hate means I do something right. So I'ma let him. Yeah, I'ma let him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'ma let him. I hit the nail on the head. Yeah, yeah, I'ma let him. So when I met my co-founder, uh, he was at a revenue uh, level annually of about one and a half million. Um, in the span of three years, um, we've taken that up 10x. So now we're at about 15 million a year and we're building 50 ADUs a year versus maybe six um, projects a year that that my partner was taking on. My hands in the dirt from where they look when you not a hand in your purse. Hell if you think I'm last, hey, last should be first, 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 first. So to get to that kind of growth, um, it didn't happen overnight. We had to to figure out what processes were there. And that sounds so ambiguous. Let's talk about what a, you know defining a process looks like. In the beginning, as an entrepreneur, you're doing it all yourself. You've got to figure out what each step is. And probably you're interacting with everyone along that chain. You're interacting with your, your new customers. You're interacting with vendors. You're figuring out um, what you're going to have to do in your project management system, if you've got one, or even if you're just doing this in Excel, right? You're figuring out what those are. Um, and what we say at Snap is as soon as you get tired of doing something, you need to figure out your process flow for it. So after you've done something three or four times, you ought to be able to write it out step by step so that you could train someone else on it. And that's really the, the um, test of whether you have a repeatable process. Could someone else take your instructions and go follow them? Yeah, I'm a little, I hit the nail on the head, yeah. Yeah, I'm a little, women with shots in the tank. And it's really as simple as that. You're starting to just document every single step. And it, for some folks, it's going to feel, um, it's going to feel like excess. It's going to be like, well, why are you telling me how to make a peanut butter sandwich? I know how to make a peanut butter sandwich. But until you write down those steps, you're still relying on the institutional knowledge. You don't actually have a process guide. So the test needs to be, can someone outside of the organization take what you just told them and go run with it? And so getting an Upwork resource, right? That platform that a lot of folks use for finding freelance talent. That's a fantastic way to force yourself into this mentality. Hire a, a generalist type of virtual assistant who can take on some of those tasks as you start coming up with the different steps. That's what the love of money does. And at first it's gonna seem so trivial. Oh, it's not a good deal. I can do that. Like I can follow up with these clients. But as you start carving out more and more, you're going to realize number one, it adds up um, just as, as far as sheer time. But number two, you're reducing the times that you're having to switch into a different mode. So the more that you can take off your plate, it's not just an, a minute for minute replacement. It's more than that because suddenly your scope is, is more reduced. There aren't as many um, costs of trading back and forth. And you're really gonna see the ability to work on your business instead of um, in the business itself. And what do you think is better approach, or I suppose it's a matter of of the context. 
to go into analog uh, direction or anti-log direction. So to copycat uh, the best on the market, to go analog. I think a lot of times the evolution starts with learning from the best players that are currently in the market, doing a real assessment of what are they doing well and taking the best of breed of all of these different approaches to create your own um, take on it. And for, for Snap ADU, what that looked like was uh, we saw some folks in the modular space putting a lot of floor plans online and it made it easier for, for folks to pick um, a unit that they liked. Um, but we are actually a stick build contractor, meaning that it's a more custom design. Um, so we took the idea of standard plans and allowed our clients to modify those. So we have 30 or 40 standard plans on our website, but folks can take those and, and, and work with them. Um, we also saw a lot of great information as far as um, information on the regulations, what you could build, what you couldn't, some pricing information. We took all of those pieces as our foundation and then started building on it as we learned more as well. Um, and over time, we realized that we fit in one particular part of this market. So with accessory dwelling units, you can actually convert existing space, like it might be a garage that you turn into a small one-bedroom apartment, or you can create something from the ground up. Um, and what we quickly learned was that we needed to specialize in one of these types of accessory dwelling units. So we already picked ADUs. We were already saying no to new homes, already saying no to like renovations, but we also said no to anything that was existing construction. We said, we're only going to do detached new construction. That's a much more repeatable process that allowed us to develop those flows more quickly. Um, so once again, you were learning from the, the market in an analog sense, you're going to then find your own lane um, after you've kind of assessed that part of the market. And when you say learning from the market, what kind of communication do you have with, with your customers? Do you have something similar to minimum valuable product and then you communicate with customers and learn through time and then develop something based on, on that MVP to begin with or... Absolutely. You're going to take input both from working with um, demand in the market from, from homeowners or your clients, but you're also going to be able to um, take information from your competitors. So searching both in your geography and in your particular niche, um, even just on Google, seeing who's coming to the top, who are the players who are investing in this such that you're finding them, that says a lot about the kind of company that they are. So by taking those two inputs, like you, I, thank you for bringing this up, Martin, like getting to something um, that you can put in front of a client sooner than later. And for us, that that actually meant along the way we were we were making up reports <laughs> that now we've you know got a great process for and are much more formalized. But in the beginning, it was me as the entrepreneur figuring out what the homeowner wanted to know, and it was you know working in PowerPoint just to put something together that later evolved into more um, specific tools for our niche. Like we draft in Revit now, and it's um, you know it's a whole different evolved flow. But like you said, getting something early on the market is going to allow you to more quickly figure out what's the actual demand see what people will actually pay for. Um, so in the beginning, you are doing a lot of creation and everything's going to take longer because you have to create all of these templates from, from scratch. Whoa, whoa. They ain't never seen nothing like this before. Lit the room when I came through the front door. Ask me if I stress overcome. What for? Train in the trees, please. In my case, I've 
I felt more and more comfortable the bigger we've gotten because my background was in medium and large size companies. I had not ever had my own small business. So in the beginning, um, my partner, Mike, felt much more familiar in the territory we were in. And as we're getting bigger, he's having to push himself to embrace new skills um, that, that he's needing to build now. Um, and we'll get to a point where we're beyond what I'm able to do as well. But to answer your question about, you know, what do I think is best or should it be a serial entrepreneur? Um, for sure, you have to be willing to admit where your gaps are and there will be a point where someone else could do it better. And um, we really pride ourselves on finding the folks that can do it better. It feels great to, to know that like your team is handling this and, and you wouldn't be able to do it as well. Um, so I think that's actually a sign of making a great hiring decision when you have someone on your team um, who's executing better than you would yourself. Um, but as far as your individual path, I feel like it also is about filling your day with what you love. And for me, I like building like the business processes. I enjoy the people management part, my partner doesn't as much. So we made to get to a point where, you know, we changed the level of involvement that we have in the business. Maybe I stay more engaged um, at an operational level, CEO level, something like that. Um, maybe Mike gets excited about that, or maybe he decides to be a more passive owner and, and start something else. So I think you have to remain open to different models as you evolve. You're working with your business partner for more hours a week than you probably see your significant other in a lot of cases. Um, and it's a lot of the same issues where, you know, you're going to bring stuff to the table that is beyond the scope of work. And whether we like it or not, it's going to affect our performance from time to time. So one of Mike's superpowers is actually acknowledging those moments when we do have tension. And remember, we have very different backgrounds. So sometimes we come at a problem and we just see it so differently. It feels almost like we're on different planets. Um, a lot of that has actually made us very strong as a company because we've had this very holistic view and then come to a nice solution, but sometimes it's harder, right? Um, so in those moments, um, it's important to take the time to step back and realign on what the business problem is. Remind yourself that your business partner is also focusing on what is best for the business. It might come off differently in that moment, but recentering around that is helpful. Um, and I think also deciding to partner with someone, um, you have to be very aware of what, again, you do and don't bring to the table. Um, I knew I didn't have the construction knowledge that was going to be required to really become a leading builder in this space. And if, had I tried to do it de novo without a construction company, we'd be nowhere near where we are. Back to your point about minimum viable product, Mike already had a construction company running. Um, and so we brought on his four or five employees from day one. I could start building a better process on the sidelines, but I wasn't essential to the operation. So that allowed us to um, be brainstorming on a real topic with real inputs to test but also had this, um, you know, a brainstorming session on the side that was developing something better. So for us, it just made a lot more sense than trying to go it alone. And I think if most people are honest with themselves, they aren't good across the, the universe of skills. It's figuring out where yours are differentiated and what your counterpart might look like. Um, and so I didn't know exactly what I was looking for, but I did know I was interested in finding someone who had the construction background. So just knowing that put me in the right place at the right time to, to find Mike. <laughs> Thank you.
after our first meeting, which by the way, was the day that COVID was hitting our region. So the Starbucks we were meeting in was shutting down around us. But as we had our first meeting, we were already thinking about um, the division of labor across our roles. And that remains important at every phase of your growth. If you have a partner or partners, who's wearing what hat. Um, so making clear that um, I was handling the business development of the sales and marketing, that was very obvious. It was also very obvious that Mike would handle the construction and the subcontractors and all that. But for us, this middle ground is actually design in our um, design build company because it, it is impacted by the client demand. It's going to impact what we show on our website as available. Um, it's all related to the marketing client side. It's also, of course, intimately involved in the construction. So we've, you know, over time shifted who's responsible for different parts of design um, and continuing to revisit those points of who has what decision authority is super important. And we actually few months ago had this come up where we realized we didn't have clarity and it was causing some of the strife, <laughs> some of the tension that I talked about earlier. So by simply recognizing that and kind of realigning what's on your list, what's on mine, let's get comfortable with that. Cause there's probably multiple things on your partner's list you could do, but just deciding who's going to run with it is going to save you time. It's also going to um, allow you both to um, conquer your own element, take input from the other if you need to. Um, but it's, it's vital to decide who's going to make the decision on each piece. So we've talked a lot about how processes and internal transparency is important to our company. That's also what differentiates us in the market. We publish all of our pricing, um, not only for our units, but for all the additional costs that will come up along the way during that construction project. Historically, that information is incredibly difficult to find. The opaque industry, folks don't really know how much things will cost. So we found that by putting that online, um, we accomplish a lot of things. One, we build trust with the consumer. We set expectations early on so that the folks reaching out to us are serious prospects. We also help inform the market, meaning that our competitors are also um, more likely to be in the same um, general understanding and we're, we're collaborating in a way with our market. Um, because we are so focused on detached ADUs, um, it means that we aren't directly competing in the same way that we might be with like um, someone who didn't have exactly the same focus as us. So by having that, we're able to um, not worry about you know secrets or trying to to make that our differentiator. We're, we're sharing leads with other folks because it's not what we're doing. We know it's what they're doing. So we love that we're able to support the market by being transparent as well. So I think because of all of these things, we've become a leader. Um, if you're searching on Google for ADU Builder, even in the entire country, you're going to find Snap ADU in the top 10 because we put so much content out there. 70% um, of our leads actually come from Google organic search, which is almost unheard of in, in our market. Most of it is referrals or paid ads ads, but because we have become this like content creator of all this real information we're unearthing as we're building, and again, putting it all out there as transparency has a lot of side benefits as well. So until about a year ago, around you know, April, May of 2022, the demand for ADUs seemed unsatiable. 
Um, people can get extremely cheap financing by using a home equity line of credit, interest rates in the two to 3% range. So it made so much sense to build an accessory dwelling unit. Um, then when we saw inflation really taking off, we also saw a lot of crazy happenings with lumber pricing and other construction materials, long lead times with COVID. Um, so all that happening over the last few years ultimately led us last summer to institute a six month price lock for our consumers. So typically in construction, um, you wouldn't lock in on a construction price until 30, 60 days um, from actually breaking ground because prices are so volatile. Um, and frankly, builders wanted to preserve that for themselves to insulate themselves against that risk. Um, we found that homeowners were hesitant to start this project, even if it was for their family, maybe it was for their mother-in-law, maybe it was for um, a young adult. They were hesitant to do that because their financing was so tenuous given the inflation environment. So we said, you know what? We have enough data now. Let's use that to make an educated um, guess <laughs> about what our price is going to be in six months so that we feel confident locking it in for the consumer and absorbing what was going to come down the road. Um, so I'm proud to say not only did we lock many of them for the full six months, we went well beyond that in some cases to get these built for homeowners um, because without that promise of knowing what their budget was going to be on this very large project, they simply couldn't say yes. So we had to change our pricing philosophy to make it possible for them to build their ADUs. I was up late working early just to make the dream become real. Pain was the motivation. Gave me something that I could feel. If you're thinking about accessory dwelling units, or even if you're just looking how you can have a very focused website in your business and thinking about what is needed for your customers, check us out at snapadu.com. You can see all of our current projects that are in process. We post construction photos every week of what's happening there. We also have all of our standard plans available with cost information, all of our findings on what is needed to build an accessory dwelling unit. Um, so we hope that you might use our website to uh, get some great ideas for your business as well. The best way to find us is online at snapadu.com. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.